In a movie, Blood Diamonds, don't recommend you necessarily watch it uh, because as the title suggests, it, it's quite gory. It depicts the conflict uh, around diamonds and the crisis that was developing and creating a lot of turmoil, both politically and socially in Sierra Leone around uh, 1999. Amanda Fisherman and a mercenary turned smuggler are looking to try to find this very rare pink diamond who would have been incredibly valuable and would have changed their lives. In this process, Danny, who is a mercenary, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and Solomon Vandy, played by Jimu Honsu, were at the price where this famous diamond was supposed to be, and they were digging. And as they were digging, they were also being watched by Solomon's son, called Dia. Solomon's son had been recruited as a child soldier. And suddenly, as they find the diamond, there's an unexpected turn of events. And the young boy turns a gun towards his father. This was a very crucial moment because very often the child soldiers were being brainwashed into doing incredible atrocities, even to their very own families. So his father, Solomon, realizes that this is a turning point and it could end up in a real tragedy unless he was able to do something. And with every resource he could muster, he is addressing his son. And this is what he says to him, faced with a gun. Dia, what are you doing? Look at me. What are you doing? You are our Dia Vandi of the proud Mendy tribe. You are a good boy who loves soccer and school. He's trying to wake up closer now to his son, but still very careful. Your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains and red palm oil stew with your sister Nyanda and the new baby. At this point, tears are, are starting to scream on Solomon's face as he's almost pleading with his son, realizing the seriousness of the situation. He says, the cows are waiting for you. And Babu, the wild dog, who minds no one but you. By this time, the tears are in full flow. I know they made you do bad things, my son. But you are not a bad boy. I am your father who loves you. And you will come home with me and be my son again. There is that moment of waiting. And Dia just lowers the gun. He puts it down. And Solomon hugs him as he does that. Who we are is everything. Our identity is so significant towards our lives. And what is true for us in our individual personal lives is certainly ever so true in the life of the church. Particularly CFM, we come from an incredible variety of backgrounds and not just social, political, economical, ethnic backgrounds but also religious backgrounds. A lot of us have become Christians somewhere else, in another church culture, in another type of environment, 
And a lot of us, when we have come together, have brought some of that with us. And most of it, it's enriching. But sometimes it can be a challenge. So how do we navigate this together? We navigate this together by realizing that we ourselves at CFM have our unique culture. And together with the leaders, we have prayed and we have searched got the heart of God, trying to bring that sense of clarity. Who are we? And sometimes culture, I think, in my personal opinion, is even more important than vision. Who we are, it's even more important than where we're going, because very often where we're going would be dictated by who we are. And this is why over the next few Sundays in the month of September, we will explore together what does it mean for us at CFM? This is us. What's our culture? Who are we? And I'm hoping that that will inspire and inform you, but more than anything else, will make your heart beat faster for God and for God's purposes and the desires that he has for your life as you are part of us as a church. And the first value, the first cultural value is being an overflow church or a river church. If you imagine a, a, a river that is flowing and is so full that actually it overflows. Normally, we kind of think of, of, of floods that have a negative connotation, but I want you to think of something that is beautiful, enriching, something that brings life, something that has that sense of vibrancy that is exciting about it. We want to be an overflow church. Let me try to explain by looking at a passage in the Old Testament that explains to us a little bit this concept of having an overflow life. If you want to turn with me in Isaiah chapter 6, we begin to read from verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, this is Isaiah talking, a prophet of God, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to each other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, Isaiah cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord, the King, the Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is paid for, atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I, Isaiah saying, I said, here I am, send me. You see, this amazing, unbelievable encounter with God is a life-transforming event for Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet of God. 
and everything is being pointed in time. This was a time when King Uzziah died. King Uzziah had, had uh, almost the life of a Shakespearean hero. It started really well. He started reigning as a king at a young age and ruled for a really lengthy time. But then towards the end of his life, after doing a lot of good things, pride took over him and he started doing things he shouldn't be doing. And instead of being a king, he was trying to be a priest. And when the priests were trying to correct him that he shouldn't meddle in the religious affairs, his pride took over him. As a result, he was struck with leprosy and he ended up his life with a little disgrace over his name. Yet he was a beloved king. And when he died, you can imagine that a whole community was filled with a mixture of sadness and nervousness and apprehension about the future. And this life that is lived as an overflow will always start with this. We'll start with a revelation, with something that happens upwardly in our connection with God. And Isaiah has this revelation. He has this discovery. He has this encounter that just opens his eyes, spiritually speaking, to something he'd never seen before. And while the whole nation was probably insecure about the future because the king had just died, Isaiah comes to the temple. And he says, I saw the Lord, the almighty, the sovereign king of the universe. And there's something about this new vision that Isaiah has that brings a sense of certainty to his life. And everything about the language that describes the experience, I saw the Lord high and seated on his throne and the robe filled the temple. The doorposts and thresholds were shaking at his voice. Everything was awesome about the picture, the revelation, the vision that Isaiah has of God. If anything could be summed up, this holy God, this God like that is like no other, this God that is almighty and all powerful. If anything is being communicated, it is this. In the midst of uncertainty, you can be certain, not because of you, but because of God and who he is and what he does. See, he's holy. That means he's in a category of his own. When he was asked to define himself, God says, I am who I am. I need no point of reference. I am the point of reference and I define things. I speak things into beings as the being as we've seen in Genesis, right at the beginning of God's creation. And the majesty of God is amazing that the throne and, and the smoke and then having those seraphims, which were angelic beings, just an amazing picture of the awesomeness, the beauty and the power of God. And Isaiah sees all this. He has this revelation. And I would dare to say that in our lives, if you want to live the fullness of life as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, you and I need to have an encounter with this amazing, powerful, holy God. It doesn't happen without that. God chose to reveal himself to Isaiah because that's God's agenda. God always wants to reveal himself. 
He wants to show himself to people. He wants to let people see who he is. And people might say, well, what is God like? And the answer is, look at Jesus. The full revelation of who God is. If you want to understand what God is like, just read the Gospels and find out about who Jesus was, what he said, what he did. And that will paint you an incredibly helpful picture of God. And his incarnation, his teaching, his acts of mercy, his inclusion, his crucifixion, his resurrection, they all talk about this powerful God that is a God of love. And he comes into our world to have encounters with me and you, with ordinary people. This amazing almighty God that Isaiah met is interested in me and is interested in you. And it all begins with this, with a revelation, with something that is happening upwardly. But it's something that happens on the inside, inwardly, and that's a transformation. So Isaiah has a revelation of God, but that brings about a transformation in his own heart. And instead of Isaiah trying to take a picture, he couldn't have done that, trying to take a picture and put it on his social media and just boast on his Instagram feed, with the latest story of Isaiah meets God, check this out, selfie with God. Isaiah has an, a surprising reaction to me because instead of feeling proud, instead of feeling arrogant, instead of feeling self-fulfilled because he met with God, he is, and this is the old word that, that is being used in, in the English language, he is undone. He is a mess. He sees God. And as he sees God, instead of seeing a reflection of his own worth, he actually sees how unworthy he is because he's sinful. You see, when you have an encounter with God, it brings about a spiritual MRI. An MRI will reveal things that are hidden in our bodies and often will bring to light illnesses or things that aren't functioning right in our own bodies. And in the same way, when you have a revelation of God, like Isaiah did, of this almighty, loving God, also it brings about this real sense of what's inside, spiritually speaking. Not physically, but spiritually. What's this MRI showing? And for Isaiah, who was a prophet, and let, let me tell you, Prophets were special, godly, devoted, courageous people who were usually speaking on God's behalf to people that didn't want to hear about God. And the message that often the prophets had were not palatable, were not pleasant, and often they were suffering because of the message they brought. So this was a guy who stood out because of his devotion to God. Yet when he sees the holiness of God, when he sees this amazing, beautiful, almighty, powerful, holy God, he sees his own sinfulness. And he says, I'm a man, woe is me. In Yiddish, they have this phrase, oi vai, which would have exclaimed that sense of, this is terrible. Woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I have seen God. He realizes 
that on the inside there are things that need to be cleaned up. And in a beautiful kind of way, and here we see the reflection of this God who isn't just pleased to bring about the spiritual MRI showing us the sin that's inside of our lives, but he steps in and God sends those seraphims who pick up that coal from the fire and touch the lips and he's cleansed from his sin. Now, this is what God does. God doesn't take joy in exposing our sin and making us feel so bad about our sin, but God wants to expose it so that he can forgive it and redeem it and cleanse us. And he's the one that does the cleansing because we could never do it. In another place, Isaiah, when he describes the futility of our attempts as human beings to sort our sin problem out, he says they're just like dirty rags. Even our best deeds, they are just like dirty rags before God compared to God's holiness. So God is sending the seraphims and they touch his lips. And it's interesting that the revelation that Isaiah has, he doesn't say, woe with me because I'm of a man of an unclean mind or I'm a man of unclean deeds. He's talking about speech because he's so very often our speech reflects, as Jesus said, what's inside our hearts. Jesus was saying what defiles a man, what makes a man unclean is not what he takes in, but what comes out of his mouth. And it's a revelation. And even before he realizes that the people around him were sinful, first of all, Isaiah realizes the spotlight was on him. This is what happens when in the presence of the holiness of God and you receive this transformation. Instead of being a finger point that it always finds fault with other people, you see yourself first. And before you dare see or say anything else about anybody else, you see your own sin. And that brings about the humility in the way you look at the sin of those around you. He experiences this inward transformation. And it does suggest that the Cleansing is painful as the hot coal comes and touches his lips. And it's a reminder, really, because there's an incredible picture that is painted here of what happens because of Jesus. Me and you are the same like Isaiah. However good we might feel about our moral deeds and how much, however much we think by comparing ourselves with other people that we are better, in reality, before God, we are sinful and we are when we are in the presence of this holy God and we're honest with the revelation that we receive, we see the sin in our life. And instead of being overwhelmed with a sense of despair, we find ourselves asking for God's grace and mercy. And through Jesus' death on the cross, he provided a way for that forgiveness to come upon us. We don't need a coal from the fire. We don't need to kill an animal in order to... Uh, uh, pay and atone for our sins we can simply ask forgiveness in Jesus name because he already paid the price when he died on the cross and once again it was God's provision of grace seeing our helpless state Jesus was the one that paid the price instead of us Isaiah 64 verse 6 in, in, in a message says this, we are all sin infected, sin contaminated, and our best efforts are grease stained rags. The Apostle Paul in Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. 
and in the all it includes me it includes you it includes all of us but the good news again that paul tells us about in romans 6 23 he says the wages of sin is death that should have been my payment for the sin in my life but a free gift of god is eternal life through christ jesus our lord so god brings about this transformation first of all he brings revelation that's upward he brings transformation that's inward but then it moves outward into mission so you've got a revelation from god that brings about transformation in my life that leads me on a mission and god's heart is always relational god longs for a relationship with people that's why he created human beings and even when human beings through adam and eve screw screw it all up through their own disobedience and mistrusting god god is still the one that's working at the redeem redemption of that relationships and all throughout the bible you will find a god who is working to restore the relationship the broken relationship with mankind god's heart is relational god's heart is for redemption and he brings after he reveals himself to isaiah after he changes isaiah and enables him to see the damage that sin does and the solution that he brings to sin he's saying he will go for us whom shall we send god will always always after he reveals himself to us and after he begins the work of transformation god will always ask us a question of mission you see life with god is not an isolated bubble in which i get my life sorted out with god and god brings forgiveness into my life by bringing a sense of revelation and then that's it i'm in just in my little you know invisible cubicle and it's just me my life and that's it no when you have an encounter with god when you receive god's transforming grace your heart is changed you have a heart transplant and you have the heart of god that comes into your heart and god's heart is one for people and for redemption and for bringing forgiveness and bringing restoration and cleansing and when you are in a relationship with god his heart is imparted to yours so it's impossible for me to claim to have had a revelation of God and to claim to be transformed by God and not be engaged in God's mission. It's impossible. So that's the case with Isaiah. God is bringing him a call. He didn't just show himself to Isaiah and cleanse Isaiah and then say, right now, just go and sit on your chair and read all day long and become a theologian in an ivory tower. No. He sends him to mission. He calls him to tell other people about his message. You see, when you have this revelation from God that brings transformation, you become positively contagious. Contagion at the moment is, is, is an incredibly scary and dirty word. But I remember when I was a kid, and, and you would have seen this as if, you, if, you're, if you're a parent with young kids, sometimes with some of the uh, particular transmissible diseases you actually want kids to catch them on their kids because they're so much better when they're kids than catching it when you're an adult so often friends would have 
that particular disease, measles, uh, and you just take them over so they can catch it because it's better for them to catch it. See, when you have an encounter with God, there are so many positive things that we can catch and we become contagious. We can spread the news, the good news, the optimism that comes from the gospel, the hope, the forgiveness, the freedom, all the good things that come. And that's why God is asking the question, who wants to go for me? And who wants to represent me? Who wants to be my ambassador? And Isaiah makes this very personal response. He's saying, here I am. And me and you, we can't hide. Every single one of us will have to give a reply to God's invitation. And it's personal. You can't just look around and go, well, let's just see what they're saying and what they're doing. Because that's not the issue. It's, what about you? What's God saying to you? And you know, Isaiah's mission wasn't actually a success. He suffered a lot. He suffered tragically, uh, according to history. But what mattered was the fact that this man was faithful to the mission and the invitation that God gave him. Listen, let me encourage you. As you see this God that Isaiah encountered, I want to tell you so clearly today that God has a plan for your life just as much as he had a plan for Isaiah's life. God wants to have a relationship with you. God wants to show himself to you. This word that I keep using, revelation, in which God wants to introduce himself and wants to develop a relationship with you. That's the heart of God. And God wants to speak to you. God wants to show himself to you. And God wants to speak to you. My question is, have you ever said yes to God's desire to have a relationship with you? And you know, there is a time that's the best time to start that relationship with God. And I can tell you right now when it is. Exactly in this moment in time. Not some time in the past, not some time in the future, but right now, right here, right now. Maybe even after we finish this broadcast, you can just in your own words, get down on your knees and say to God, God, I want to have a revelation of who you are and I want to hear what you're saying because I want to have a destiny in this life. I want to have forgiveness for sin. I want to have a sense of mission and purpose in my life. And God brings that all about when you're in a relationship with him. And I want to encourage you to do this because it's such an important, absolutely crucial step. And if you want to be part of CFM, the best thing you can do about being part of CFM is to have that sense of an encounter with God out of which everything good will flow as an overflow culture. I want to encourage you this morning, maybe you're struggling with sin and maybe the temptation could be either to pretend it's not there and cover it up and do some DIY to try to, you know, put something over it. Or maybe the other temptation is you're in so much despair that you're thinking, you know, nobody wants to have anything to do with me. God doesn't have anything to do with me. I want to invite you to come to him because he is gracious He's forgiving and he wants to deal with this in your life, not in a harsh way, but in a freeing way. 
So again, I want to encourage you as this broadcast is finished. Why don't you get on your knees and talk to God very clearly about those things? Because God wants to bring that sense of freedom and forgiveness and fullness in your life. Why not do that? God is looking for ambassadors. He found one in Isaiah as he revealed himself to him. Let me ask you a question. Has God done something in your life worth telling other people? How about realizing this morning and recommitting yourself afresh to say, I want to be the one who will express to those around me. In my own words, in my own way, in my own time, in a most natural way, what God has done in my life and what God means to me. That's all God is asking for. That's what mission is about. It's about letting other people hear about what God has done in your life and what God means to you, who he is for you. And I would encourage you not to just simply have a, 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 a wishful ideal to do that, but to pray specifically and strongly and commit yourself to the Spirit of God to help you and guide you and use you. And then prepare and practice to talk about God and his love. The more you will be prepared and determined to do this, the more God will bring opportunities for you to do that. So this is what an overflow life looks like. If people are asking, what does it mean for CFM to have an overflow culture? We believe that we want to have a constant sense of encountering God, going deeper into intimacy with God. And as we encounter God, we are being transformed. We are not the same. I'm hoping that in, in, in your own life, you are not, if you keep coming to CFM, you're not the same person that was two years ago or two months ago. I, I, I pray that because of a revelation of who God is and your encounter with him through the scriptures and through the work of the spirit, that you will be changed from the inside out. And then... Because of the revelation that we have and the transformation that God brings, we are people on a mission to showcase what we have seen and heard. That's what an overflow culture looks like. Ordinary, broken, sinful people meeting an awesome, loving, holy God who through the work of Jesus on the cross and the work of the Spirit cleanses us and empowers us to live a holy life so that we become a lighthouse in the darkness, attracting people to God himself. Don't you want to be an overflow person who encounters God, has this incredible revelation, who has this incredible transformation that leads to this incredible mission? Because I do. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that in Jesus you have provided the most incredible encounter we could ever have. And we can have it right here, right now, if you've never had it. And we simply want to say yes to this wonderful life that you have for us. We thank you that you revealed yourself to us and you've spoken to us about the cross and about the salvation that it brings. And we thank you that you want to change us. We're frustrated often with ourselves and yet you come to help us. And as you change us with the greatest humility... We want to be the messengers and ambassadors of that change so that others could meet you too. 
God, help us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.